Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. We are working on memorizing a passage of Scripture. That passage is found in 2 Peter chapter 1. And throughout the month of February, we've kind of reviewed some of the verses that we've worked on before. Next Sunday, we're going to add the last two verses of this passage, verses 10 and 11. So you might want to start to to work on those this week. This morning, we want to read or quote, I trust, uh, by this time, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. They're up here on the screen. Let's say the reference, and then we'll read or quote the verses together. Here we go. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires." For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Keep working on this passage of Scripture. Hide it in your heart. God will bring it to your mind when you need it, and I trust it will be an encouragement to you. The book of Philippians was written as a thank you letter to a church that had ministered to Paul. It was a church that was very dear to Paul, and you find out in Acts chapter 16 how Paul went to that church and how he established their faith. Lydia, the seller of purple, was a prominent person in the church, and Paul connected with her, and she received the gospel, and then it permeated the whole city. Women played an important part in the church in Philippi, and in fact, in the first verses of chapter 4 here, we have a couple of women that are identified, Iodia and Syntyche, and they're told to agree in the Lord, and then Paul says, they're also true companions, help these women who labored with me, and so Paul is really bucking the culture as he is recognizing that there are women who are valuable to the work of God, and we certainly see that. In our lives. Paul, as he wrote this verse, this, this book, tells them in chapter 1 that he is sure that the one who had begun a good work in them would continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that in a little more detail in three or four weeks. He tells them in, in chapter 2 that they are to Live for Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made of the likeness of men. In chapter 3, he tells us that we are to be careful 
as we press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And here in chapter 4, he kind of sums it all up. As he recognizes a church that's doing the job. Philippians is one of those attaboy books. It's one of those books that I, I like to read because it's a combination of a church that was really doing what God had called them to do and ministering, not for themselves, but, but ministering so that their fruit would extend throughout the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm thankful to be part of a church like that. That church in Battle Creek is called Calvary Baptist Church. Now, there are other churches in Battle Creek that are doing the same kind of thing. But I am so thankful that this is a church that is to be commended. A church that recognizes the needs that are out there and recognizes how they can meet those needs. Paul said, you did good. God is pleased. And I want to thank you for your investment in the ministry. Philippians chapter 4, I want to start with verse 10 this morning. And I'll invite you to follow along in your copy of the scriptures as I read through verse 20. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves, knowing that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Someone has outlined this passage of Scripture this way. This passage tells us that we ought to be what we ought to be. We ought to be content. This passage tells us that we ought to do what we ought to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this passage tells us that we ought to have what we ought to have in Christ and my God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Be what you ought to be. Do what you ought to do. Have what you ought to have. But as we think about growing, as we think about developing the character of Christ in our lives, 
we need to make sure that we are continuing to develop those qualities that God has for us. And this morning, we're going to be talking about growing in giving. God has given to us so much. And when we think about giving, there, there are a lot of things that we think about. We think about our treasure. We think about our talents. We think about our testimony. And we think about our time. And as we talk about growing, we want to make sure that it envelops all of our lives. This is not just a message on putting money in the plate. This is a message on stewardship. Recognizing that God has given to all of us resources. And we are to use those resources for his honor and for his glory. So as we think about giving this morning, I want you to think about every area of your life. So that you can be the kind of people, so that I can be the kind of purpose person, so that we can be the kind of body that God wants us to be. Now there are four principles of stewardship, of, of growth that I want to give you. And, I, and it may not surprise you, but I've made an acrostic. All right? So the acrostic is give. First principle is this, God owns it all. Amen? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine, right? We used to sing that as little kids. God knows our beginning. God knows our ending. God knows everything in between. God owns it all. And he is in control of all things. And you and I need to recognize that in our lives. But it's all under our control. God owns it all, but it's all under our control. What we do with it is up to us. How we spend our time, what we do with our talents, how we live out our testimony, what we do with our treasure, it's, it's all up to We make those decisions, don't we? And so it's all under our control. We have the volition of investment. We can choose. We can decide how best to spend what God has given to us. And the reality is, in eternity, we are going to be held accountable. Now, I had to work at this acrostic a little bit because I usually give it to you this way. God owns it all. God gives it all back to us to invest. We can either increase or decrease its value depending upon how we invest it. And one day, you and I are going to be held accountable. Those are the four keys to stewardship, to investing. And please, please remember, it's not just putting money in the plate. It's not just sending money. You know, a lot of times it's a whole lot easier for, for us to send money than it is to live out our testimony. You may wonder what I do every week. I see some heads going like this. Well, every week is different. Let me tell you one thing I did this week. There was a young man who came by the church. This was Thursday. And I was working real hard on the message. Every once in a while, somebody will knock on my door and say, are you busy? My response usually is, no, I'm just sitting here waiting for somebody to give me something to do. But Thursday, this young man came in. 
And he had had some car problems, and he needed a ride to Bellevue. I didn't realize that he was here, but Connie, our secretary, did. And she came in, and she says, Pastor, there's this guy out here. He looks okay to me. <laughs> didn't you say that? You did. It told me his story, so I, I came out, and I, I said, hey, what's going on? Met him, introduced he told me his, his hard luck story, and I said, well, listen, I'll take you to Bellevue. So we got in the car, and I figure, I'm giving him a ride. I can also give him a sermon. What's he going to do? Get out? So we talked a little bit, and he had been to First Baptist Church, and in, uh, in Bellevue and knew the pastor there. I don't think he'd listened much, but he'd been there. And so I shared the gospel with him. And when it was all over, I said this to him. You said, I said, you know, I'm more concerned about you getting to heaven than you are to getting to Bellevue. I'm willing to take you to Bellevue, but I want you to know how to get to heaven. Now, frankly, I didn't have an extra half hour or whatever it took me to get over to Bellevue and back. But I did have an opportunity. And I share that with you because God puts it in our laps and we can either increase or decrease its value based on our investment. Now, you may, after this sermon is over, sit there and say, you should have stayed studying But those are the decisions, right? And as God works in our lives, we need to recognize all that he has given to us and use it as an investment for him in our giving. Last night, Connie and I were sitting at home, and Connie says to, to me, as she does on many uh, Saturday nights, she says, what, you ready for tomorrow? I said, we'll see. She says, we're going to get a whole message tomorrow, just half a one. I said, well, if you go by the outline, you're probably going to get half a one. So let me give you the whole outline, all right? Let me give it to you real quick, and, and, I, and I hope to get through point number one today. All right. Here, here's the outline for Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Giving begins with contentment. And we're going to talk about this more, more this morning because Paul has said, I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Giving is a response of charity and love. You know, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Think about that. Giving is an offering that involves some kind of sacrifice. Giving takes a willing spirit. It takes trusting God. And giving is a helping partnership where the fruit is multiplied for the glory of God. 
All right, now, is everybody happy because they have their outline filled in? Okay. Let's talk a little bit this morning about contentment. Giving begins with contentment. Did you notice in verse 11, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, therewith to be content. Now this is the only place in the New Testament that this word that is translated contentment is used. There's another word that is translated contentment, and it has the idea of action. Action based on resources. It's a term that is used over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. There in verse 8 he says, Paul says, you have food, you have, you have clothing, therewith be content. God's given you resources, he's provided your needs, be content with those things. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content. It's not about a bank account. It's not about just having boo-goo resources. But be content. And this is action based on resources. The word that Paul uses here has to do with an attitude of contentment. And Paul says, I've learned how to have a whole bunch, and I've learned how to have a little bit. And it's his attitude that makes a difference. Paul says it's a learned response. And that learned response is based on the focus of a person's life, his attitude that he needs to have in his life. And that learned response is, I've learned to trust a sovereign God who knows what my needs are. Amen? It's not that I have all of the resources, but I know somebody who does. It's not that I can go and put my plastic and take care of it, but I know who can meet my need. It's I recognize that God is someone that I can depend upon no matter what's going on in our lives to fulfill his promise of meeting all of my needs. There's no panic in Paul's heart here. Paul didn't say, When I'm brought low, I start to get upset and panic. When I don't have anything and I'm in need, I start to wring my hands. Brent, thank you so much for your ministry this morning. As you were singing, I was thinking maybe I ought to change the message and speak on being conquerors. But the reality is, God doesn't promise an easy path. 
But what he does promise is that he will go with us along the path and take care of us in the journey. Some of those hills pretty high. Some of that fire pretty hot. And sometimes we have no clue. But you and I can have an attitude of contentment because there is no panic in our lives. And we know that God is in control. Amen? Contentment is really greater than riches. For if contentment does not produce riches, it achieves the same object by banishing the desire for riches. It is a blessed secret when the believer learns how to carry a high head with an empty stomach, an upright look with an empty pocket, a happy heart with an unpaid salary. Joy in God when men are faithless. You know, God uses a number of different things to meet the needs of our lives, two primarily. Sometimes he uses a miracle. Now, a miracle is God superimposing his will over the natural world. That, that, that's a real miracle. Can you think of miracles that took place in the lives of God's people? Just think of Exodus. Right? Remember all those miracles that took place in front of Pharaoh? You may jump from there to the Red Sea, but there's another miracle, I think, in, in the middle of all of that. That's where the people of Egypt gave to all the Israelites all of their silver and all their gold and said, go. <laughs> that was a miracle. In the wilderness, there was water from a rock, right? There was manna from heaven. The quails came in. I mean, those were miracles. Have you seen God work a miracle in your life? If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you've seen him work a miracle. Because salvation in and of itself is a miracle, is it not? That God would so love the world that he would give his only begotten son that whosoever believeth it. What a miracle. That's beyond natural understanding. But not only does God use miracles sometimes, sometimes he just uses circumstances. Providence, contingencies, events, decisions. God led Joseph to the throne in Providence, right? His brothers hated him, threw him in a pit. He ended up in Potiphar's house, ended up in prison, and God put him on the throne. They say, well, that was a miracle. Well, it was, but it was through providence, through circumstances, Remember Queen Esther? Ended up the queen of Persia and saved God's people. How'd she get there? God put her there. But that was through providence. What's God doing in your life through providence? Have, have you seen him work? Have you discovered God kinds of things in your life? Look for them. They're all around. And we can have the attitude of contentment 
because my God will supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? And as we give ourselves to him, he is able to meet our needs. Well, when I think of contentment, I think of circumstances in our lives. Paul had a whole bunch of them. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He was brought low. He abounded. And in every circumstances, he learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Yeah, that's the way life works, isn't it? A lot of times, circumstances sneak up on us, and we get surprised. Let me tell you something. Nothing ever surprises our God. Amen? Success in life, you've heard me say it before. Success in life is not not having problems. We all have them. Success in life is biblically handling the problems that we have. And sometimes those circumstances are beyond our comprehension. Dave Spear mentioned this morning in the Conania class that he didn't wear his overcoat today. Why not, Dave? It's not that cold outside. Praise the Lord. Amen? I didn't wear mine either, Dave. Dennis, you going golfing this afternoon? Not today. Probably could. Isn't it great when God gives us this kind of weather, the 31st day of January? I shouldn't have expected Baptists to agree on anything. But I'll tell you what, if you're not complaining about how warm it is today, you're going to be complaining about how cold it is on Thursday. Hmm? Our circumstances are up and down, and yet our God is able to put it all together. Not only do I think about circumstances, I also think about the confidence we can have in him. Verse 13 may be underlined in your Bible like it's in my Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who do you trust? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Amen. All things work together for good. Romans 8, to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Amen. Keep your finger here in Philippians chapter 4 and turn back to Matthew's gospel, will you please? Matthew chapter 6. Part of the Sermon on the Mount. just reminds us of the confidence that we can have in our God. Now, verse 24 sets up this passage. Verse 24 says this, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You can't serve God in anything else. 
right? It's either God or nothing or something else and nothing. And verse 25 starts with a, help me out, class, therefore, because you have to make a choice who you're going to serve, because you have to determine who you're going to have confidence in, because you need to understand where your trust really lies, therefore, I tell you, Jesus said, be content. Actually, it says, do not be anxious. Be content about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about your body, what you'll put on. Is life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds, birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more vague? of more value than, than they? And which of you, being, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The next word is, therefore, because of these things, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34 begins with a, therefore, because of these things, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Huh? Our confidence. Who do we trust? Back to Philippians chapter 4, please. In circumstances and confidence and also in the care for others. It was kind of you to share in my trouble, verse 14. The believers at Philippi had a ministry to Paul. They loved him. They cared for him. They did something that met his need. If you have a King James translation of the scripture, it says, nevertheless. Yeah, that's what happens. Okay. How do we get this kind of contentment in our lives? How can we develop it? Well, it begins with an attitude of gratitude. If we are going to have contentment in our lives, we need to be thankful. I'll just remind you that Paul began this epistle by thanking God upon every remembrance of these folks. Throughout the whole book, 
He appreciates what God has used them to do in bringing forth fruit from their lives and their ministry. If we are going to be content, we must have an attitude of gratitude. Verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You know, gratitude, appreciation, giving thanks is becoming a lost art. We live in a world that just expects people to reach out to them. We do. And yet we who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior have a different perspective in our world, do we not? And we recognize that no matter what comes our way, we can have this attitude of gratitude. And we can be thankful for what God is doing. Because we know he's doing it to challenge us and change us and conform us to the character of his son. Whatever that is. You cannot be content when you think you're deserving in life. You can be content when you recognize that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Amen? But not only do we need to develop this gratitude, we need to develop grace. It's all because of his grace. Now, we've talked about growing in grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. God giving to us what we do not deserve. And our contentment comes when we recognize that you and I deserve absolutely nothing. It's true. Somebody said the definition of disappointment is unmet expectations. And when I start to expect some things, I get disappointed pretty quickly. I expected somebody to say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and if it doesn't happen, all, all of a sudden I tank, right? If we are going to learn contentment, we have to learn that God's grace is sufficient to meet all of our needs. Amen? And do you remember when Paul made that statement? He made it when he was dealing with a thorn in the flesh. And he had prayed to God. Here you go, Mary, three times. Three times take it away. And God said, nope. But my grace is sufficient. In your weakness, you'll be made strong. And my strength is sufficient for you. Amen. Growing and giving begins with contentment. And Paul said, I've learned that. Paul had it all, didn't he? Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisees of the Pharisees. 
sat under the teaching of the best religious scholars, theologians of that day. Paul had it all. And then on that road to Damascus, he came face to face with Jesus Christ and discovered very quickly he didn't have anything. Paul said, I've learned. I have learned that I can be content. I don't panic. I don't get upset because I know that my God, my God will supply all my need. Not according to who I am or what I have, but according to the riches that he has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you, Father, that we can depend upon your word to work in our lives. Teach us contentment. Teach me contentment, Lord. Teach me that when I struggle with stuff and things don't go as I'd planned, that there's a higher purpose, a higher calling, a better investment. And help me to be willing to be crucified with your son, Jesus Christ. And if Paul said, nevertheless, we live, yet not I, but Christ lives in us. In the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.